Hey, Jeff. Jeff? Are you there, buddy? Uh, uh, he, he was just here. I don't, uh, I don't know where Jeff went. Oh, what, what the fuck was that? Jeff? Jeff? Boo. Hey, Jeff, you scared me there. Well, you know, it is Halloween season, and uh, so we're we're having a little bit of fun with it at Trouble this month. We are. That's Jeff over there. This is AT, and this is uh, Trouble's audio file. We're talking about, uh, you know, our music zine that's been around for a decade or more, you know, pushing heavy, and uh, it's Halloween season. Before that, we have, you know, a little bit of... Uh, interesting news in our music sphere that I guess we'll touch on just for like 30 seconds uh, that involves Pitchfork. And Jeff, you want to break that news for people who don't read the internet? Uh, Right. Well, if they don't read the internet, they might not find this podcast. But Pitchfork has been purchased by um, the media conglomerate Condé Nast, uh, which also owns the New Yorker magazine, Vogue, and uh, the Traveler. So this was pretty big news because for a long time pitchfork was basically like the biggest independent music website and obviously they're huge but that they did so while remaining independent was i think even more impressive because uh when you start to look around at a lot of the other uh sites out there um sites that i suppose you could say are competitors of ours you'll you'll notice that they're often corporately owned um spin media owns Mm -hmm. a lot of companies for instance spin but it also owns stereo gum and um you know several others and uh so this is kind of a big deal because uh for basically the biggest music website out biggest independent music website out there to basically join a bigger corporation in a way kind of speaks volumes the end of an era um uh, now a lot of people (laughs) both expressed disappointment and made lots of jokes when i think it was the ceo uh, of Condé nast said that they were interested in buying pitchfork for an audience of millennial males um Mm -hmm. which sucks in a way because it sort of diminishes the uh all of the the kind of big steps that they've been making in terms of including a broader diversity of voices on the site, which I will commend them for. I think that they've been doing a good job at including um, lots of non-male voices. Um, but at the same time, I think the demographics still do kind of show that more or less that is a lot of what their audience is. Mm-hmm. So I don't have strong feelings about this, but I just know that Treble's still independent. So, and you know, that's that's something to uh, to still celebrate. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. We'll see. We'll see what changes come to the magazine in the future. And uh, it's sort of interesting because it's like, are they still our competitor anymore? You know, because we don't consider the New Yorker to be our competitor, right? Right. Um, <laughs> it's just sort of it's kind of a different league, and you wonder if over time content strategy is going to change for them because now you know that demographic is now much more their goal maybe right maybe it's not maybe they're just going to be paid to do the same thing they've always done but i'm a little bit skeptical 
about that. I don't think, yeah, I mean, I, it's hard to say. They, you know, in the, in the statement that was released, they did say that they didn't plan to make any major changes, but I mean, just based yet, yet. but based on my observation, I mean, I, you know, I worked actually in media that exclusively covered business for for a while and i and i can just tell you that most of the time when when an acquisition is involved changes will be made and Mm -hmm. um you know maybe they don't know what those are just yet maybe they need to observe how it operates first but but i mean i wouldn't expect everything to stay exactly as it is Well, we Treble are still independent, which means we can still do whatever the fuck we want. And <laughs> and every every fall that means doing a little too much content about Halloween. We have a You can never have too much content about Halloween. I agree. Yeah. <laughs> I I was playing devil's advocate. Sure. Devil Satan's advocate. Satan's um, advocate. <laughs> it sounds scarier. And so we wanted to talk first about uh, some of the spooky shit we have going down in this year's Spooksville. I think our big feature this year is going to be we're, we backed ourselves into a corner because we got all the easy Halloween lists out early. So we're doing uh, songs to tell scary stories, uh, w- which I actually kind of like because we've gotten the uh, the lists have gotten more challenging, where it becomes more fun to sort of figure out songs or albums that fit into these criteria because halloween is kind of a big tradition for us we we definitely have done a lot of halloween related content in the past eventually we're gonna have to start doing the the simpsons treehouse of horror thing where we just basically kind of like break format altogether. but i'm actually excited about this because i think it takes a special kind of songwriter to tell a compelling story with the song but it takes an even more special kind of songwriter to not just tell a story, but one that, you know, genuinely gives you the creeps. One artist in particular who I think we'll probably see once, maybe twice, is Nick Cave, who mm-hmm. half of his catalog is basically scary story songs in, in some form or other. Right. And another one uh, that I'm definitely going to touch on the list would be Tom Waits. He also has. <laughs> he has a lot. <laughs> he does. A, a lot of qualifiers. And we're also doing a sort of, it sort of fits in the Halloween theme, but definitely fits into the last two artists we mentioned, kind of a goth Americana list. Mm-hmm. Uh, which I'm excited about. And uh, we have a big feature on David Lynch coming out. That's right. Um, one of our, a, a fairly new contributor to the site, her name is uh, Virginia Croft. She started writing for us at the beginning of the year, I think, maybe. Yeah, about. Or, uh-huh. Maybe around the spring. I've actually gotten a sneak preview of the feature, and it, and it's uh, it's cool. It's tasty. It's good stuff. Basically, she kind of gives an overview of David Lynch and how music ties into his, uh, his films mm-hmm. and, and in the TV show Twin Peaks and kind of how it it does play a very important role in in his uh, filmography. Uh, I always love pieces like that. I know we have we've done a couple in the past like we did one on uh, kind of midway through the end part of Mad Men. I know Jeff did a piece on uh, the music of Mad Men and we've done mm-hmm. a couple other mm-hmm. like we don't cover television. We don't cover film to, to that extent. We, we keep it the music mostly. We don't do film critique. But I do think it's fun every now and then for us to write about the relationship between music and other media. Uh, music and how it ties into 
TV and film, it's it's kind of a crucial part of the, mm-hmm. the art forms. So it's something that we we do touch upon from time to time, and it's something that we'll definitely continue to explore. Unless Jeff, we're talking about Hitchcock's Birds, which doesn't have a soundtrack for the most part. That's true. Uh, ah. <laughs> that's true. I, you know what? Neither does um, No Country for Old Men. Uh, oh yeah, yeah. Uh-huh. it's it's yeah. Uh, mostly silent, which actually kind of makes the character of Anton Chigurh even more terrifying. Well, uh, you know, we're in Spooksville, and uh, while we're here, let's talk about music that gives us the creeps. And we're not, let's not necessarily talk specifically about songs that are supposed to be scary, like we were just talking about, uh, but just for us personally, Jeff, for you personally, what, what music creeps you out? So this song that I'm about to talk about, some people have said it is the scariest song ever, like of all time. And, but it's not in a way that like has jump scares or makes you, you know, leap out of your seat. It's basically just a really super creepy feeling that it gives you. Um, and I'm talking about a hamburger lady by Throbbing Gristle. So mm-hmm. they're one of the pioneers of industrial music. They basically invented the term industrial. Um, and uh, this song is it's basically spoken word feedback and. Uh, effects it's pretty simple in how it's put together but it's it's really terrifying because it's just this creepy wheezing sound and genesis p orage his vocals are treated with an effect and he basically narrates this description of a burn victim it's pretty twisted it's super twisted and even if you didn't even know what he was talking about it would just like give you the heebie-jeebies yeah the words hamburger and lady <laughs> next to one another the does not they do not bring to mind like a casual or soothing song unless you're talking about a waitress but but still yeah hamburger lady no. b- maybe my mind's too spoiled to to, to think You've, of a cafe you spent too much time with the song to to hear anything <laughs> yeah. else yeah but yeah um i mean for me it's interesting because like i answered the question a little bit more but of, of like what music like what music would I have to turn off if I was like by myself and listening to it and already scared, you know, like it's dark or, you you know, like sometimes you, if you're alone and you hear like the refrigerator buzzing or something and it freaks you out, Mm -hmm. you know, and you need to turn something on like music that does that to me is usually it's dark, but it's more ambient in nature. And it's stuff that if I'm listening to it in another context, it wouldn't frighten me at all. Mm -hmm. Um, But like, so like Tim Hecker and uh, Pharmacon were the two, uh, uh, examples I thought of mm-hmm. that um, that it's music that in the right context like can really creep me out mostly because it's not super predictable so if I'm already in like if I'm already feeling like 
little superstitious or something there's nothing for me that like even if i'm listening to like the cave and the bad seeds like there's a pop music format to there i can hold on to and something reliable right but like i can easily forget what happens in um the for example tim hecker's virginals right right um and it kind of feels like i'm in the horror soundtrack sometimes definitely yeah, Tim Hacker's Virgins is an interesting album because that it's this isn't true of all of his albums. Like if you listen to Radio Amor, that it's it's sort of conceptually bound by this the idea of like being on a on a fishing boat. So it's mm-hmm. actually a lot more spacious and kind of soothing. But this one, the first time I listened to it, I thought, man, this is dark, creepy stuff. So obviously, I loved it. But it it is a beautiful album. But it's also it just has that sort of like hint of menace about it. You know, it's funny that you you kind of mentioned stuff that you would uh, maybe wouldn't scare you in another context, but listening to it alone at home at night in in the wee hours, perhaps. Um, and I don't even know if this counts as music, but the Conant Project is a box set that came out in the '90s of recordings of number stations. Now, just a quick brief overview for anybody who doesn't know what a number station is. It's basically, on shortwave radio, there are these broadcasts, certain frequencies, where you'll hear a voice that could be in English, or it could be in Spanish, or it could be in German, saying a series of numbers. So it'll be like 7, 18, 32, 12. And then it'll be interspersed with maybe uh, a tone or uh, a buzz or even a melody. Now, some of these are fairly straightforward. Some of them just have a beep. And a beep on its own with a kind of staticky recording actually can sound pretty sinister. But uh, some of them uh, grow even more twisted. Like one of them has this weird kind of like ice cream truck melody that juxtaposed against this like German girl reading numbers sounds just super twisted. There's another one that it's called the backwards music station, which I don't even think is actually backwards music. It's just like a feedback loop. But it sounds like the Gates of Hell opening. But yeah, the first time I heard this, I listened late at night and uh, it kind of gave me an uneasy feeling. And just to be just to be clear for for our studio audience, um, these are all like found sound recordings, right? So like these are not altered at all. These were just sort of preserved and presented in this way. Yeah. In fact, yeah. If I mean, if you have a shortwave radio, you can. I mean, if you know where to look, you can actually hear them. Um, so it's right. It's weird that because some of these date back pretty pretty far, and. Um, the commonly accepted knowledge is that a lot of these are used some of these are military frequencies some of these are weather stations but there are a lot that have been confirmed as um actually used in international espionage so that makes it even more interesting because these are spy broadcasts sometimes mm-hmm. so that's kind of cool yeah crazy mm-hmm. while we were on the subject uh, I wanted to bring up um, a list we did a couple years ago because we haven't visited in a while and it was a pretty interesting list. We did uh, a list called Play It Again Satan, <laughs> 10 Terrifying Bands. Uh, Still proud of that <laughs> well, headline. Yeah, that was a good one. Yep. It was a keeper. Um, we kept the, 
And uh, yeah, basically the idea was we'd already done a couple lists on scary songs or uh, murder ballads and things like that. So we focused on actual like artists who freaked us out, regardless of whether or not their music was actually scary. So like one example obviously would be like Charles Manson, whose um, music itself isn't that scary. (laughs) Um, It's like trying to sound like the Beach Boys, right? Mm -hmm. But like... He, of course, was at the very least batshit um, and probably more, more sinister than that, uh, yeah. <laughs> given everything we know about him. So that was sort of the biggest example, probably, of uh, that everyone will know of the type of artist we did on this list. So, Jeff, did, were there any other artists you remember from this list that you particularly found resonated with you? There's a few. One is uh, a, a rapper named Big Lurch. Um, Mm -hmm. which, you know, you you hear that, you probably think of the Adams family. Um, but, uh, he was, he was six foot six, so he's a really tall dude. But, um, he actually, while on a PCP bender, ate his roommate. This is a thing that actually happened. So, it doesn't really get more fucked up than that. I mean, tell tell me if I'm wrong here, but, um... I mean that's a that's about as fucked up as like like that's on the same level as Charles Manson. And just to be clear as we're talking about artists, like not all the artists on this list actually like kill people. Some of them just are legitimately like freaky in, in an aesthetic way. That's true. <laughs> like Sun, like like we're not saying Sun killed anybody because they're on this list, but Big Lurch and uh uh Charles Manson did. <laughs> yeah. No, Sun actually um no, they're they're very uh, normal people. In fact, Stephen O'Malley once emailed me when uh, I had a question about their Bandcamp page. So um, you know, normal dudes check their email. Mm-hmm. So that's <laughs> good customer normal, service. Normal dudes check their email. Normal dudes check their email. That's the name of our next podcast. Um, uh-huh. <laughs> we just check our email. Um, no, uh, but uh, another one that I I, I do want to point out though, just because it's. What the thing that makes them creepy is what you don't know about them, and that's the mm-hmm. band Death Spell Omega. Because you know they're a black metal band, and the truth of the matter is they're probably just a couple of guys who wanted to create this online buzz about their band or something like that. I mean that's right. that's the most likely scenario. But the fact of the matter is nobody really knows anything about them. They have this really kind of elaborate theology about satanism that they ascribe to and it's kind of pretentious but at the same time it's kind of weird because they seem to take it seriously it's uh it's peculiar and of course nobody knows what they look like they've never made any public appearances um so it's just kind of like what are they up to what's 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 their motive what's their end game and it's it's pretty impressive that an artist can actually pull that off the amount of effort that goes into that sort of strikes a real amount of fear i guess maybe like uh, that you could actually keep yourself that mysterious with Despel omega you get the impression that they're probably like sacrificing goats or something um right because they're they're actually super intense and their music is really dark and it sounds like some kind of dark ritual when you listen to it and of course again you know it's possible that these are these are just you know, a group of musicians who came up with an interesting gimmick because we don't really know and they've never really owned up to it. It's it's kind of creepy. I'm not pretending that I'm perfect. I am nothing with no vanity. But I want you and I need you. 
can't you see? You're just a part of me. So just sit there for a moment while I sing and remember with each note his love that I bring. And if you enjoy the song, then it's here that you belong close to me. Well, if you're uh, listening to this podcast, then comment and let us know what musicians you think are creepy. If you think we're creepy, let us know that, I guess. You probably would. <laughs> um, especially if you like Weezer. Yeah, the Weezer fans. They're not, they're, not, they're not trouble fans. That's an inside joke. They're Pitchfork fans. They are millennial males. <laughs> I guess most of them actually aren't <laughs> millennials anymore. But anyway. Some of them are probably um, Gen X males. Yep. Anyways... Yeah. Uh yeah, we wanted to review something, and it's October, and one of our favorite albums in October, besides the one we reviewed last time, was Proto Martyr's new record, uh, the Agent Intellect. And to be honest, I'll give some spoilers and say that like Jeff and I both love this record. End of and, review. Uh huh. <laughs> and we we've written the review, and we'll be probably writing. Probably one of us or another person on staff will be writing them up for a year and stuff. So instead of just giving you uh, both of us saying back to back how great the record is, we can we can include that a little bit in this section. But we we are gonna actually uh, pit ourselves against each other because we have uh, a dilemma where Jeff and I cannot agree on which song is best. Song fight. Yeah, it's a really it's a really hard problem. You know, it's really difficult being a music writer. Yeah, um, it's true these these tough dilemmas we have to solve you know, i think th- i think the thing about this record as opposed to like a maybe a more mainstream record that has like a big pop single is that because none of these are big pop singles no they kind of uh all kind of have their own different sort of nuanced merits i think mm-hmm. yeah hardly art put out three singles to this record but none of those were really i think the most striking rec- recording from this record i went with pontiac 87 because uh you know it's about cars they're from detroit no um, <laughs> you know i think i think my dad had an 87 pontiac i didn't know that <laughs> i i don't know jeff's dad so that's that was- true that's true Useful intel for me. But there are two reasons I really love this song. One is uh, that it's one of two songs where Joe Casey, the vocalist here, kind of sheds the more obscurest lens he has a lot of the time. And it it very clearly sounds like a narrative from his life. And I just really enjoy seeing that side of Casey because he's such an amazing storyteller as it is. And it was really interesting to hear sort of personal narrative from his life. But also the song structure and just really clever subtle songwriting on this track almost more so than anything else they've written it's kind of a classic post-punk song it's got a real joy division feel with the bass kind of leading the way but it does some really interesting things both in kind of the lifted chorus and there's this breakdown that kind of seamlessly transitions from a false verse towards the end that's complicated speak for they kind of start a verse that quickly turns into something different before sort of um, going back into the verse and it sounds really seamless on the record but it's not not that easy to make sound that good so it's just one of those songs that that's a moment of the song where uh i hear the song and i hear the end and it ends too quickly for me and i want to hear it again to catch it again i almost feel like that could have been a single from the record because it has that sort of value uh that i think singles should have
do make a very strong argument for why that's the best song in the album, and um, but but you're wrong. <laughs> no, um, I don't. We don't. We actually don't really um, get into uh, really heated arguments at Trouble because um, we value everyone's opinion equally. But um, yeah. that being said, we do vote at the end of the year, and whoever gets the most votes wins. So um, so I guess it's 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 democracy rule. But my favorite track on this album is called clandestine time i like it for similar reasons to why you like uh pontiac 87 in that you mentioned that it does sort of sound like a classic post-punk track if we're comparing proto-martyr to joy division say pontiac 87 would be more like transmission and Mm -hmm. clandestine time would be more like one of the songs on still like something must break or something like that where there's a, a slightly darker vibe to it and it's a little more chilling, and it's a little, like there's a different atmosphere. Something's kind of different. The more I listen to music, and, the, and the, this is, I guess, kind of relevant to the to the whole topic that we're talking about today with, with kind of songs that give us creepy feeling or whatever. Not that I think this song is creepy per se, but but I think the way that it does kind of create this sort of haunting atmosphere is really interesting because they're really good at making kind of loud, noisy punk songs, but this one is a little more. It's a little subtler and kind of eerie and i don't know i just like it when they when they kind of like lay off the intensity a little bit and just kind of like let it burn slowly right and that's something they do a lot on this record yeah um and i think we're sort of um i think you are right that uh, a lot of the things we're complimenting about these songs apply to a lot of other songs we just tend to we just seem to be picking for different reasons, these specific songs as representations of that. But it's right. really like any of the, uh, you know, how many tracks, 12 tracks, any of the 12 tracks could be somebody's favorite. Yeah. Um, for sure. Like it's just a really smartly written stellar record and sort of verifies that they deserved all the attention they got the last time around on their sophomore record. Mm-hmm. Because, I mean, that record was great, but um, they definitely swung it out of the park. I think it's a better record, um, which is easy to say, but <laughs> I believe it, you know. Yeah, it's true. I was a big fan of the first record, though, Under Color of Official Right. Um, and uh, in fact, uh, I I make a quarter, well, it's not quarterly, it's it's semi-annual, but I make a semi-annual mix, and on my fall mix, I included Scum Rise from that album, which mm-hmm. is a great song. If you haven't heard it, give it a listen. Yeah, so that is... Uh, the Agent Intellect, uh, Brother Martyr. It's and it's got some like gothy vibes for you. It can be it can be a Halloween record for you if you want it to be. You, if you want to drive around Halloween week, listen to Brother Martyr, then you might scare somebody. <laughs> you might scare your mom. <laughs> you might your dad, your your younger sibling if you are an adolescent. That's true. So, Et, what are you going to be listening to? on halloween i don't know about on halloween but i'm actually doing something incredibly stupid probably the two days before halloween okay i i live in bloomington indiana and i recently interviewed both kin mode and deaf heaven and they both actually happen to be playing within driving distance two days apart from one or one day apart from one another so on the 29th in indianapolis kin mode is playing and on the 30th, the best Halloween time show of all time is happening, which is Death, Heaven, Tribulation, and Envy. So I'm probably taking a stupid little adventure to <laughs> go listen to 
all those bands. I don't know. Sounds like it's worth it to me. Because it's indie than Chicago. Yeah. It will be worth it if I pull it off. I'll let someone else take the driver's seat. Okay. I usually do a playlist or whatever, yeah. but I'm going to go to someone else's party and listen to what they have because I'm going to be sort of uh, riding that high still, probably. Nice. Yeah, I'm actually going to be seeing Deaf Heaven and Tribulation tomorrow night, so oh, yeah. I'm stoked about that. I'm very and excited. when this podcast plays, that'll be in the past. Ooh. Whoa, spooky. <laughs> Um, during the day on Halloween, or at least in the early evening, I'm going to have to give a listen to Scott Walker's The Drift, which is basically, to, to quote the tagline from Nosferatu, a symphony of horror. It is uh, an extremely disturbing album. It's pretty disturbing stuff, but it's also kind of beautiful, too. It's basically like the perfect Halloween album. And then later that night, my wife and I are going to play a set of Cure covers in San Diego. That's what we'll be yeah. doing. The Cure is also great on Halloween. Can't leave out The Cure. No, you can't leave out The Cure. Yeah. Yeah, so we're going to go uh, get to stocking up on candy a little ahead of time. Um, if you, you know, wherever you watch this, or listen to it. You can watch it if you want, but it'll probably be pretty boring. <laughs> you won't see much. Yeah. Wherever you happen to listen to this, uh, there will be links to everything we mentioned below. We hope you've enjoyed the clips and the conversation. Uh, definitely check out the full lengths of any of these songs. Uh, but yeah, we're going to head out now. Uh, we'll be back probably sometime in november to talk about turkey and i will make sure to put a bell on jeff uh next time so he doesn't sneak up on me <laughs> ding all right well thank you for listening yeah check out treblezine.com you won't not regret it <laughs> you won't not regret it <laughs> you definitely will regret this yes you yeah, will regret bye. this it's regrettable yeah. bye Hey, Jeff, you scared me there. <laughs> and do you want me to respond to that? Yeah, I'll do it again. Again, 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 again,